Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Curtis Whiteley. It is entitled, The Ethics of Faith in Patience. Curtis. Well, good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here, as it always is, on another beautiful Sabbath day. And as Ron was mentioning, we have a little break from all of this cold weather that we've been having lately. And so, as was just mentioned, uh, the title of this message today is The Ethics of Faith and Patience, and we are moving uh, right along in this series. We just have two more left, uh, this one and the next one, and we will be done with this series that I began last year in January. And uh, before I get started today, I'd just like to take a little time just to thank everyone for uh, all the prayers and the thoughts and the... Uh, the kind words and the cards uh, in regards to the, the birth of our son, Everett, uh, that came just last week or this uh, last 10 days on December 25th at 7.34 a.m. Uh, it wasn't planned on that day. It was actually uh, scheduled for the next day on the 26th, but uh, that's how it goes sometimes. That's how our first one was. He weighed 9 pounds, .02 ounces, so he was our biggest uh, but he was also our shortest. He was 20 inches, and Asher and Addison uh, were 21 and 22 inches. So I'd like just to thank everyone uh, again. Uh, it's been uh, uh, different in this experience, uh, adding a, a new one, but it's been uh, a, a, a huge blessing. Uh, God's really blessed us. Uh, the kids have really adjusted well, and everything went according to uh, the prayers that we asked. Uh, so I just wanted to thank everybody, and Katie's doing really well in healing up from the procedure. So as we come here to this ninth installment of the Ethics of Faith, we're going to take a look at a particular virtue, a characteristic that is so important. I mean, there's so many different things in life that we can look at that's important you know, talking about, you know, whether it be courage or whether it be with, you know, being able to withstand trials. But James here in the fifth chapter, and we're going to break into the context. I kind of skipped around a little bit for the purpose of just making this condensed down a little bit. But he mentions the quality of patience. Patience. No matter how old you are or how young you are, patience is so important. It's something that we practice, or we should practice, or is required for us to practice the living in this world in virtually every aspect of our life. We wake up, we get dressed, we go to work, and if you have to traverse the roads of Tulsa, immediately you're going to have to practice patience. If we go to the store, we go to a restaurant, we wait in line, we're going to have to practice patience. Things happen. Things don't always happen on our timeline as we would like them to be. So we have to practice patience. And this is really relevant to me. I was just thinking about how, you know, with now having three kids, you know, patience is something that's going to be even more tested in my life. And it just so happens to be that the next message on this series has to do with patience. So I'm right here with you in regards to thinking about this concept of patience. But I want to pick it up in James, the fifth chapter. We're in the very last chapter of James. Now just a review for you guys, if you did not know, if 
you have not been here for the last year, uh, this series that I started last year in January is a series on the epistle of James. And we've done nine, including this one will be nine, and we have one more left, the ethics of faith and prayer. But James picks it up in verse 7, and he says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and later rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And he really is. Talking about how important patience is, let's just take a step back and think about how absolutely thankful we are that the God in which we serve is patient with us. Let's think about our life. Think about that. Think about all the qualities of God, all of them equally as important. But man, when I go and I think about the things that I've done in my life, when I think about the things that I've said, the things that I've thought, even in the midst of blessing, I'm so thankful that God is very patient with us, with all of us. But right here, James gives us this exhortation to be patient Specifically, the patience until the waiting of the Lord, until the Lord's return. And we don't know when God's timing is for, the, for Jesus Christ's return to this earth. In a lot of ways, it's irrelevant. Because at any moment, our race on earth could be done. And so we have to live a life that demonstrates that we are earnestly waiting for that return to happen at any moment. In this context, James uses the word, therefore. And just to kind of back up and talk a little bit about what James was talking about right before he says what he just says in this string of passages, because when he says, therefore, he's showing that he is connecting what he's saying to the previous verses. And just to give you a summary, and you can read it on your own, but James is talking about, throughout this whole letter, but in specific the context right before this, he's talking about the injustices that people, that people that James is talking to, that they are witnessing. He's talking about the rich, specifically the rich's oppression of those who are the lowly. The rich taking advantage of the poor. Evildoers seeming to flourish in life in this, on this earth. And he's telling them, even though you see these things, be patient. Be patient, for God will, in His time, vindicate His righteousness and set things straight. That He will bring the injustices of this world and those who perpetuate those injustices. He will bring them to judgment. And He gives us this example, this example of a farmer. He says that a farmer, and I'm no farmer, some of you guys might be a little bit more experienced in farming. We do live in Oklahoma with uh, a lot of farms around us. But he talks about how the farmer has to wait. 
And he basically says that the farmer must plant a crop and wait for the full cycle of the crops to mature before it becomes ripened. And he mentions this concept of the early and later rains. Now, in the historical context, in this region of the world, the Mediterranean, that's how farming was done. Farming in the Mediterranean, within the location of Palestine, farmers were reliant on two rains, the early rains of the late autumn, the late fall, that is, like late October, early November, and the later rains of the early spring, like March and April. Both rains were necessary as the early rains got the crop started, allowing initial growth, and the late rains enabled the filling out and ripening of the grain. For the farmer, patience of these rains coming was imperative. And the point of James' illustration is that we are primarily sowing and cultivating in this life and not reaping rewards. Our rewards are in front of us. They are in the future. God will bless us in this life. But one thing we have to remember is, is that this life, we are here to mature. We are here to come into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. I want to bring something out here, something that all of James' readers, we know that in the opening of this letter, James says to the, the tribes that have been scattered, he's referring to those Israelites, those who have Jewish heritage, that would have understood the stories of Moses, the, five, the first five books of the Bible, would have understood the story of, of Israel coming out of Egypt and moving into the promised land. And he says this knowing, says what he says about the farmer, knowing, specifically talking about the early and later rains, understanding that the people he's talking to is going to be familiar with Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. In verse 8 of Deuteronomy, it says this, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to you, swore to give your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10 is key. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you shall quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Notice in verse 10 and 11 of this passage, God says the land you are going to possess is not a land like Egypt. And what is being referred here is the, in which how the lands in Egypt versus the, the, the land and the promised land, how it's watered. In Egypt, watering was done through an irrigation system. 
literally humans intervening in the environment, adjusting the environment. So water could be irrigated, could be canaled to different farm fields. They didn't have to rely on the rains. Of course, there are stories about how they relied on the rains and stuff for the Nile River. But the way in which that they would rely on rain to come and water their farm fields was through human intervention within the environment. Notice how it says where they watered it by foot. Literally, a farm could be over here, and there'd be a canal connected to it. And all it would take to water that farm field was just some moving of the soil as it allowed water to flow to that water or to that farm field. But here in the promised land, the ground was watered by heaven, literally by rain. And why this is important is, is because it demonstrates in the promised land, when you come to it, you're going to come to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, but you're also going to come to a land where you're going to have to be completely reliant on me, that is God speaking, for it to be watered. Because it's not watered by canals or ditches or some sort of human intervention or technology, but rather it's watered by heaven, it's watered by rain. It's going to take much more faith and patient endurance for the Israelites in the new promised land. This is something that all of those who would have been reading what James had to say would have understood. And that's so much how life is. You know, we live in this world, and it's kind of always, we've always looked at it as being analogous to, you know, Egypt. And we're coming out of Egypt and the kingdom in which we serve, and the God in which we serve, it's not like the ways of the world. We don't rely on man, we rely on God. And in relying on God, God has set us forth a life where He will bless us, but He does require patience from us. I want to look at an illustration from the Bible, in Luke, the second chapter, that I've always looked at as being such an amazing example of patience. Because when you think about this particular individual, that's a very obscure individual. He's only mentioned this one time in the scriptures. And the context is in Jerusalem, and the context is at the birth of Jesus. I've always been fascinated with this story with a guy by the name of Simeon. Just after the birth of Jesus, of course, which would be somewhere around 6 to 4 B.C., depending upon what historian you're talking to, and in the temple where Mary and Joseph had taken uh, the, the, the child Jesus, there was this man uh, that came. And uh, the scriptures in Luke, the second chapter, starting in verse 25, we read, and it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he could not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by, he, so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up and in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel 
And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so right here, we see that this man, Simeon, is mentioned nowhere, nowhere else in Scripture. In fact, the Scriptures give us very little information about who this individual was. By the implication of the text, though, it is apparent that this person was of old age. He says that he is ready to die. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what tribe that he comes from, but what we do know from this passage is two things. Number one, it said that he was just. This signified that this man was righteous. That he feared God and was just before people. And it also says that he was devout. Devout. That he lived his life serving God. That this man was careful and pious to carry out all the duties righteously. Now, the interesting thing about this is thinking about not just who this man was, but the context in which he was living in. He's in Jerusalem. He's somewhere at the dawn of the first century. And this man is living at a time that he knew all about the promises that had been given to Israel. He knew all about the prophets and the things that they had said. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the restoration of Israel. Now think about this person. Person's living in the context. He sees that the Romans are the ones that are in control of the promised land that he's always read about. He's read about the passages about God delivering Israel eventually from this captivity. And of course, they're not in technical captivity, but they are not a sovereign nation. He's not living in that restored kingdom. But yet, even despite this, he doesn't just throw his hat off and say, you know what, all those things, they don't mean anything. Look what I'm living in. That's not his attitude. Even though he's living in the midst of, the, uh, of being at the auspices, of being at the control of the foreign power that has you know, been occupying his land for years, the Romans, he's still living a life where he is patiently waiting for the consolation of Israel to occur at any time. Do we live a life that demonstrates patience to the effect that we almost are so patient that it seems that we have already received the blessing that God has promised to all of us, eternal life, the kingdom of God on this earth. That is something that has always fascinated this individual waiting on the consolation of Israel. He knew the scriptures. He knew what the prophets had to say. And he didn't flinch. Despite everything that was going around. All of the different things that he experienced. And we don't know what this man experienced. But we do know that the context tells us. That everything that he read from the prophets. It really seemed to be jiving with reality. And despite this. He still. He still had patience. And he lived a life. That demonstrated his patience. By continuing to be a devout just man. You know, we as Christians have a lot in common with this man, Simeon. And we know a little bit more, obviously. We know about Jesus. We know about his sacrifice. We know about his return. We know clear about how those prophecies are supposed to come about. But we haven't received it. There's no kingdom of God that's been established on this earth. Jesus has not returned. 
We are to live a life that demonstrates to people what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. We are, live, we are to live a life that demonstrates that we are trying to live by the practices of the kingdom of God, by being just to people, by living a life that is in obedience to God, living a life that demonstrates the light of Christ to others. But we have a lot in common with this individual Simeon because we're waiting for the promises as well. We know about those promises that Simeon knew about, and we look forward to those as well. We as, in the midst of living in this world that we live in, have to ask the question, as James tells us, have we established our hearts? That's what James says at the very end of the passage that we just read in verse 8. You also be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Have we established our hearts? Have we set our hearts on that coming? Even though we don't know whenever Jesus is going to return, have we established our hearts in living a life knowing that it could be at the door for any of us, despite whether Jesus actually literally returns, but our death, our death is something that none of us know. So in looking at all of this, let's ask the question, what does it mean to have patience and what does it produce? What does it mean to have patience and what does it produce? The Bible has a lot to say about this virtue of patience. Obviously, James is not the only one that talks about patience. The Bible is filled with examples of patience. In our English language, this word patience brings out many ideas. In the American Heritage Dictionary, for example, of the English language, one of the ideas of that, that noun, which is a noun, patience, it brings out the idea of having the capacity to endure hardship, difficulty, or inconvenience without complaint. It says patience emphasizes calmness, self-control, and the willingness or ability to tolerate delay. Which any of us that lives in this life understands that this is not an easy task. But I think one of the elements of patience that is so often ignored in our days is the element of hope that produces patience. You know, we're patient because we have a hope. We understand that there is an end. In the New Testament, patience is closely connected to hope and is also closely connected to faith. We see a lot of the references to patience within the New Testament comparing the things like affliction and trials and persecution to that of joy and promises of ahead. Specifically, we see that this is what James talks a lot about, enduring trials, hardships, Count it all joy, as James says in the very opening of this epistle. Let's think about the consequences of this. Because we are enabled to have faith, or because we have faith, we are enabled to have hope, because faith we have gives us the expectation, which is exactly what hope is. Let's go to Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. A very famous passage of Scripture. Many of us have read it many times. We've expounded upon it many times. But picking up Paul's thought, it says in verse 18 of Romans the 8th chapter, For I consider that the sufferings of this, this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And so right here we see that the Apostle Paul is drawing on the promises we have been given in eternal life in the kingdom of God. We shall be finally clothed in immortality and delivered from our present bodies which are corruptible. And a time that we will finally see that the injustices in this world will be put to, to rights. That God's Son will reign on this earth. You know, much of this reminds me of what we just looked at back in Luke, the second chapter of Simeon. He had hope in something that he had not seen yet. And we know that that's, that's what hope is, according to the Bible. That's what faith and hope is. All he had was the promises and the faith in these promises. We have not seen yet the liberties that we have been promised. We know this, but we shall. Let's go to James, the fifth chapter. Back to James. We're going to wrap it up in looking at these two examples that James gives us. He's given us the example of patience. Patience that a farmer must have. And he likens it to us as the Christian. Let's look at James, the fifth chapter, and let's look at verse 9 through 11. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Being the judge, behold the judge, that is, is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And right here, James gives us two examples, the examples of the prophets and the example of Job. But right before he gives us the example, he says one thing, do not grumble against one another, brother, lest you be condemned. You know, that is the opposite of patience. When we are not patient, it leads to sometimes having the inability to practice that love commandment that Jesus talks about. You know, we talk all about the laws of God, which are very important. We talk about the things that God has put in place. We know that we are still expected to as we live in the Spirit, uh, practice the laws of God as they are written in our hearts. But all of them embody that love commandment. You know, treat others the way that you would like to be treated. You know, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love one another. It's hard to practice love when we're not practicing patience. Which leads me to think of the things that James must be talking about. In this context, what we see is, is we see that James is talking to all different Israelites that are scattered abroad. And the context is still the same as it was for Simeon. Romans, they have control over the land in which they believed is supposed to be restored. 
in this, what we see is, is many things. We see that sometimes there was a group of Jews known as the Zealots. And some of the practices of the Zealots was to try to, on their own accord, make the prophecies be fulfilled. Because they believed in taking up arms to physically try to fight the Romans. Not waiting on God patiently, but trying to force the issue themselves. So let's go to one last passage of scripture. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. This is, of course, a very, very famous. All of these are very popular passages of scriptures. But this is right after the faith chapter, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, that is. In Hebrews 12, the first two verses, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Such a great cloud of witnesses. We have such a great cloud of witnesses. J uh, not James, but the, the author of Hebrews here, right, at, right when he's saying this, he's referring to those great men and women of faith. Talking about Abraham and Sarah and David and Samuel and, and Daniel. All of these great men and women of faith and how they're examples of endurance. And that endurance is only possible because of patience. And of course, in the end, what we are to do is to set our eyes on Jesus. To set our eyes on Jesus. You know, there's an interesting uh, little tidbit here that's talked about here in Hebrews. And it's likened to our Christian walk. It talks about run the race. You know, all of those things that easily ensnares us, the sin, the weights of sin. Right now, in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, as we do at any point. Of course, this is, we're in January now, and we're leading up again to another start of God's holy days. To the Passover season where we examine ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with starting to examine ourselves quite a ways off. Because it's going to be here before you know it. And start examining ourselves and start thinking about what are the things that are ensnaring us in our life. All of us go through different things. All of us have different trials. All of us have different temptations. But right here when he says run the race. When athletes perform in races. You can think about today athletic competition. This word that's used in the Greek is agony, race, agony. And it's talking about how it takes great endurance. It takes uh, going through the trial of pain. And when we run a race, when we do any athletic competition, it takes effort. When athletes perform in races, there is a lot of physical exertion. It calls for 100% effort and is demanding on the body. And maybe some of you guys have ran races before, you've lifted weights, or you've done some sort of athletic activity or fitness activity, and you know it's not easy. You lift weights, you have any kind of resistance towards the muscles, the muscles respond by elevating the heart. Lactic acid starts to build up in that muscle, and it takes a lot of exertion. It takes a lot of endurance. It takes a lot of pain. And to be able to endure that activity, whatever it is, it takes endurance. And that endurance starts with our practicing of patience. And it's only something that is enabled in us if we set our eyes on Jesus. And so what I think James is trying to get to us today is to 
looking at what he has to say and everything that he's talked about. He's talked about trials that we go through. He talks about, you know, the temptation to speak, you know, unrighteously with each other. The temptation to, you know, just throw our hat in and give up and say, well, look at how the world's going. Look at how my life is going. Why do I want to continue on? Because he's at the door. I'm not saying that literally. We have no idea when Jesus is here to return. But the imminence of our life, even if we live 50 more years, think about how fast 50 years goes by. It goes by just like that. We have to live a patient life because that is what we have been called to do. So as we close up this message, I'd like all of us just to take this in and just think about are we living a life that demonstrates our patience to the extent that we live a life that even though we might be going through hardships, even though we might be going through trials, we still live a life as if we have received the promises. Just like Jesus did himself. He was so sure of the promises that God had declared that he was able and he was willing to give up his life. He didn't think back, oh man, this is hard what I've came from. You know, I gave up being on the throne of God and being a part of the Godhead to do this. But he had patience, and that patience produced endurance. He demonstrated the way for all of us. So as we look at this message, and as we think about the ethics of faith and patience, let us strive, as we once again near another Holy Day season, to practice the virtue of patience.